With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly here flying solo again this week as usual. Kevin is off again. The big day, his wedding is just literally days away. So if you want to send him good wishes, you can do so on Twitter at Kev Laramie. And uh, I'm sure he'd be very happy to to hear best wishes from fellow Formula One fans from uh, around the world. And lots of news to get into tonight. There's been plenty of things going on around in the Formula One world after the French Grand Prix this last weekend. So why don't we just uh, dive into it? It's been another exceptionally long day on my side. It's about 10 p.m. on Wednesday night. I don't know how long I'll be able to stay up because, you know, guys, it's too late in the night for coffee. It's too late to have a Red Bull or anything like that because at some point I want to go to sleep <laughs> and all the caffeine is going to keep me awake. Anyways, uh, before we get into it, let's just recap uh, quickly the, the, the uh, top 10 at the French Grand Prix this last weekend because it will set up what we're going to talk about over the coming uh, minutes and, well, maybe not hours, but (laughs) over the next hour at any rate. Anyways, Lewis Hamilton winning again in France this past weekend on what's been a very dominant season for him so far. He was 18 seconds ahead of his teammate Valtteri Bottas. He was literally in a class of his own when you're you're that far ahead of your teammate on a track that uh, is supposedly suited to his style you're in a class of your own Lewis even was throwing it down right at the end ignoring team orders not to go for the fastest lap but he did it uh, anyways then uh, behind Valtteri in third was uh, Charles Leclerc and the Ferrari Max Verstappen for Red Bull Sebastian Vettel and the second Ferrari uh, recovering a couple of places obviously a very disappointing qualifying for Sebastian missed an upshift uh, having some problems with the car and was only able to qualify seventh so getting a couple of spots back at the end of the race was basically all you could really hope for and over the past couple of years, uh, since we've returned to racing in uh, at, uh, at the French Grand Prix at Paul Ricard, hasn't really been a very successful place for, for Vettel last year. Of course, had that opening lap uh, coming together with, uh, with Valtteri Bottas that dropped them all the way back down to the bottom. And uh, Vettel did manage to recover, did better than uh, than uh, Bottas did in that race. But, you know, certainly once you get past all those other cars that are slower than you, once it's only Red Bulls, Ferraris, and Mercedes in front of you, it's very, very difficult to close the gap. So well done to Sebastian for getting a couple of points. And then the first of the McLarens, in which was an extremely impressive weekend for McLaren. Uh, Carlos Sainz coming home in sixth. Seventh was Kimi Raikkonen in the Alfa Romeo. Very good to 
to see uh, Kimmy up in the top 10 again. Nico Hulkenberg in uh, eighth position for the uh, Renault. Lando Norris in ninth position. What a fantastic and impressive weekend and race for Lando. Unfortunately, he had that late problem with the the hydraulics in the car, dropped him down to ninth. But uh, fortunately, he was able to hang on and uh, not drop down as far as he could. And then run, rounding up the, the top 10 is uh, Pierre Gasly in his home Grand Prix for Red Bull. And that was a bit of disappointing when you see the difference between Max Verstappen and his teammate Pierre Gasly, a lap down. Not really a great, great result for Gasly. At least he brought it home in the points. Anyways, we will um, talk about that. And let's, uh, while we're doing that, on the subject of uh, recapping uh, what's going on in Formula One, let, let's uh, just now take a quick look at the Drivers and Constructors Championships. Uh, Lewis is pulling away in the World Championship uh, on the driver's side with 187 points. Valtteri Bottas, second with 151. Vettel in third with 111 points. Max Verstappen. Still in touch to maybe make a run at finishing the top three this year in the Drivers' Championship with 100 points. And Charles Leclerc rounding out to the top five with 87 points. A full 50 points ahead of his teammate Pierre Gasly, who has only recorded 37 points thus far. And it really, again, is... Um, well, like we've been talking about for several races now, it's not going to be which uh, team and which driver is going to win the Constructors or the Drivers World Championship. Obviously, unless something bizarrely weird happens, it's going to be another Mercedes year again. And it's going to be a question of whether or not it's going to be Lewis Hamilton or Valtteri Bottas winning the Drivers Championship this year. And honestly, if Lewis is going to put in performances like we saw on Sunday at Paul Ricard, <laughs> is even Valtteri Bottas going to be able to make a legitimate challenge for a world championship and, and be the spoiler and prevent Lewis from recording uh, his sixth world championship? And at this point, I really, really doubt it. And I, I mean, I'm not going to throw shade at uh, Valtteri Bottas or criticize him in any ways. I think that he's come back very, very well after what was a very difficult and disappointing uh, 2018. But Lewis is just in a class of his own at the moment and really, really looks motivated and doesn't look like he's putting a foot wrong and it would take something special from Valtteri Bottas to really uh, make a serious run at the world championship but hey we're going to Austria this weekend and uh, Bottas has done very well there over the past couple of years and was uh, I would I would argue was robbed of uh, what looked to be uh, another promising uh, outing last year when they had the double DNF and Mercedes did uh, both cars did did not finish which was like the first time since the 1950s if I remember correctly, but Anyways, the point is, Valtteri Bottas goes very well at the Red Bull ring, and I would expect uh, to see similar from him this weekend, and if uh, he's trying to look to kickstart his championship challenge against his teammates, then this would be the weekend to, to do it. But now let's let the, look at the constructor standings. Obviously, it's going to be Mercedes. <laughs> I can't see even this early in the season. I know we're not even at the at the at the halfway point yet. The summer break is still just about a month away. We still have to go to Austria. We still have to go to Germany. We still have to go to Great Britain. Obviously, in a little bit of a different order there. But anyways, still several races left before the summer break. But already, it is a Mercedes miles ahead in the constructor standings with 338 points. Ferrari in second with 198, and even that's uh, quite a bit. Uh, ahead of Red Bull, who are currently at 137 uh, points, which is good enough for third in the Constructors uh, Championship. So, well, why don't we just um, go and 
just start on the subject of Lewis Hamilton and his uh, team principal Toto Wolf says that Hamilton may be the best driver that has ever existed. And well, I guess there is a very, very good argument to be made uh, for that. I mean, obviously Lewis is the best driver of this uh, generation. Certainly when you see some of the, uh, the, the drives that we've uh, seen him put in, in the past couple of races alone. I mean, look, look at that wonderful job that he did uh, to win in Monaco, uh, despite struggling with the, the tires of fading and keeping Max Verstappen of all people at bay for so many laps when his team, uh, they, they messed up. They, they obviously went with the wrong tires and Lewis was paid for it but fortunately he just had enough grip which uh, gave him enough speed to go through the tunnel there and just keep Max Verstappen at arm's length but still Max had a lunge at one point uh, going into the chicane there it almost came to tears but fortunately for neither driver it did but Lewis certainly rescued his team there and that was it was exciting it was it was fun to watch because uh, you kept thinking well is Lewis going to be able to hang on there is Max going to make that uh, that uh, long expected uh, overtaking maneuver and we all all know that uh, you leave even a sniff, a hint of uh, an opportunity, and Max is going to go for it. But uh, Lewis certainly was very impressive in that win. And just this past weekend in, in France, just dominant, absolutely dominant. And uh, it is interesting just to, to see what uh, Total Wolf uh, was uh, talking about. I mean, certainly from a statistics point of view, Lewis is at the top of the chart in so many different uh, categories. I mean, he's uh, slowly closing in on the 91 career victories that is uh, currently uh, owned by, uh, or that record is owned by Michael Schumacher. And of course, uh, Schumi is the one that uh, is still on top with, uh, with seven world championships. But I was thinking last year after five, I was thinking to myself over the winter, how long is Lewis going to stay motivated to do this? Obviously, he doesn't need the money. Not that money is his sole purpose for being in Formula One. He, but the point is that away from Formula One, he has you know, lots of different interests. Obviously the, the fashion thing is that, uh, that he's very into and he, he does his own thing. He marches to the beat of his own drum. He lives his own uh, life away from formula one. And my, my question wasn't so much from a motivation point of view. And I've, I've never really had that doubt with Lewis Hamilton, uh, that, that when he shows up, I always get the feeling that he's a hundred percent committed. I mean, he's had a cu- couple of off races now and again, but, 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 but who doesn't, I mean, even the best have bad days at the office and Lewis Hamilton is no exception. But my question wasn't so much, like I say, the motivation point, is he going to stay motivated to stay in formula one? But after five world championships, I thought to myself, well, you know, that's a nice round number. He's, uh, I mean, he's in the prime of his career. I mean, he can certainly race for a number of years yet, but my, 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 my question was, is he still interested to do so? Or has he gotten to the point where he already owns all these records and he's got um, plenty of different uh, interests away from the sport? Would he want to keep uh, doing that? Or do you want to turn that uh, d- determination and that focus and the, uh, the, the passion that he has for things into other areas of his life? So that remains to be seen because he is under contract uh, for another year. And he's been saying for quite a while now that, uh, that one of the things that uh, will determine whether or not he comes back to sign another contract in Formula One is how things are going to look for, for 2021 and uh, beyond. And we'll talk about that uh, in, in a few uh, minutes. But it is uh, you know, quite interesting to, um, to hear his uh, boss, Total Wolf at uh, Mercedes, saying that uh, he doesn't think that Lewis, especially in the United Kingdom, is uh, recognized in the way that he should be. And... I can't really speak to that. Being in North America, being in Canada, 
we don't really get a lot of coverage on the front pages of, uh, of Formula One. I mean, it's really buried there. I mean, obviously, like you, for, for many of you that are fans of Formula One and follow the sport closely, I go looking for that news. But if I go into a store or go online and it, it doesn't immediately pop up uh, very, very obviously, even if I go into a bookstore or something, look at all the magazines, the Formula One ones are always kind of tucked away in a bit of a corner in, uh, in, in a not very obvious place. So maybe that is true. I can't really speak to that, but it, it was interesting. I remember, I think uh, Lewis may have been on uh, the Ellen DeGeneres show here in, uh, in America. I think it was about uh, maybe a year, two years ago. And my wife made an interesting comment at, uh, at the time. We were both uh, big, uh, big Formula One fans, obviously. And she said that Lewis seems to be known in America. And she said, and she wondered why that was. And we, we came to the conclusion, maybe he's, he's well known in the States just because he's famous. He's almost famous for uh, being famous. Some people really might know him just because he's a famous racing driver, maybe Formula One driver, maybe the glamour and the, the prestige associated with that. But obviously, I don't think he's maybe recognized from the sporting side as maybe he would be in other parts of the world, specifically in Europe, in the United Kingdom, where he is a, a bigger uh, celebrity, whatever you want to call it, on, on, the, on the sporting side, because obviously that's what he's known for. But, you know, I, I think there is a really, really legitimate claim to what, uh, what Total Wolf says. And over the space of a lap, there is nobody uh, quicker because it is just, it continues to amaze me just how quick the guy is. And it, it really is uh, fascinating to watch during the course of a Grand Prix when it comes close to pit stop time, how when Lewis needs to push and it's hammer time, he just keeps setting those fast laps one after another after another just to build up enough space to give himself the best opportunity that when he goes in for his pit stop, that he's going to have as much space between himself and whoever's uh, behind him. So, I mean, just from a consistency uh, point of view, I mean, it, it's one thing to be good, but I mean, it's a completely another thing to be so good for so long and not just for so long, but from weekend to weekend to weekend, the guy is a machine and it is really, really impressive. But I guess we could go on for about that. And I'm not here to gush and <laughs> about Lewis Hamilton, how wonderful he is. I mean, he is, he's obviously a, an, an amazing uh, racing driver, but I'll throw that out to you. Do you guys think that Lewis Hamilton gets the recognition that uh, that he deserves? If you're in the UK, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a tweet at ScuderiaF1Pod on the Twitters or send me an email at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. Is Lewis uh, recognized properly and is he one of the best? Well, obviously he's one of the best, but do you think he's the best one ever? Love to hear from you. Anyways, let's uh, move on now. Let's talk about uh, what I think was another great story for the, the, the French Grand Prix this weekend. And that was the story of uh, McLaren. And we've talked about this on the show several times over the years that, um, that this year they have made a, a small incremental steps forward each and every week. But, uh, this, this past weekend with the, uh, with the upgrades that they brought and everything like that, I thought that they looked uh, really, really great. And certainly both of them, uh, making it into the top 10 starting the Grand Prix, uh, where they did Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris really wonderful to see. I mean, it, it really is a good story because 
it was really sad to see how that team had really lost way over uh, their way over the past uh, several years, and especially at, at the real low points in the when when Stoffel Van Dorn and uh, Alonso were there uh, two years ago, when it was just really everything had bottomed out. Everything was looking so bad with uh, what was happening with the Honda engines and the reliability, and they were just uh, completely at the bottom. There it was just uh, not a nice thing to see. I mean, especially a team that has had so much uh, success in Formula One, and that just doesn't automatically guaranteed because you've been good in the past that you deserve uh, to, to be up at the top. I mean, Formula One, it is dog eat dog. It's uh, it's it's a, it's a shark tank. I mean, use whatever metaphor or analogy you want to. And uh, if, if you aren't on, t- on top, if you don't have the right people there, or maybe if you have the right people, but you're not utilizing them in the right place, then, well, things are going to go bad. And certainly they, they, they have done. And I, I was a little bit skeptical, uh, skeptical last year to, to be quite honest, when I saw that, uh, they were going to go with, uh, Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris for this year. I mean, science is a is a decent driver. Don't get me wrong, but I, I had my questions whether or not uh, he would be the guy to 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 lead McLaren. I mean, he'd been at at Renault, he'd been at uh, Toro Rosso. I mean, he he'd been with some okay teams before, but McLaren. My question was, would he be the guy to really help lead the way and uh, and and really do the job that uh, that they needed to to get back where they they needed to? So. They've done a good job, and Lando Norris has been, uh, I, I think, very, very good in his rookie year in Formula One. I mean, honestly, I didn't really—I I knew the name, but I didn't really follow him in his career prior to Formula One. I, I know what his, uh, what his accomplishments were, and again, it, it's a big question: is whether or not when a driver steps up to Formula One, are they going to be able to get the job done? But uh, he's done a, a really, really good uh, job so far. But I mean, fifth and sixth, third on the row or third row of the starting grid. Uh, with only uh, Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, Valtteri Bottas, and Lewis Hamilton in front of you. Very, very impressive stuff. And uh, certainly when you saw the problem that Lando Norris had late in the race with the, uh, the the hydraulic problems and the way that he was able to hang on really by the skin of his teeth with uh, <laughs> in the dying laps of the race and the car getting a little bit away from him was really, really impressive. Anyways, I'm going to take a short time out here for, for a, a quick word from my, our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to keep talking about McLaren and uh, their great weekend in, uh, in France. And we're going to talk about uh, Renault as well, which was a bit of a interesting weekend for them in their home Grand Prix. Anyways, time for a quick break here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
All right, welcome back to Scuderia F1. The podcast is always up to speed with Formula One racing here on the Overtime Media Network. And so, yeah, let's just finish up what we were talking about before the break, uh, just to regarding Lando Norris in what uh, was what was termed a very impressive French Grand Prix. I mean, he did uh, did really hang on there it looked like he was going to take a seventh place but uh, right at the very end uh, when he started losing hydraulic power with about uh, 20 laps to go and this um, really affected a number of different uh, systems in in the car including DRS the brake differentials power steering and then slowly he fell victim uh, to the uh, the the cars behind him he was uh, going to end up in 10th and uh, that uh, was uh, elevated to 9th because uh, Danny Ricardo was uh, handed a, a penalty for some last lap uh, shenanigans, but uh, new McLaren team boss uh, Andrea Seidel said uh, that there were serious uh, concerns about the hydraulic uh, issue that could stop on uh, Norris, and it got uh, a little bit crazy there. Uh, they were saying in both the cockpit and the, uh, the 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 garage, and the engineers were just trying to uh, really push Lando to to te- uh, to keep going and just fight through it. And it must have been really really tough. I mean, uh, to take away all these things that make the car work and uh, and, and basically have to do it uh, manually is uh, certainly uh, a very difficult thing and he did a very good job for a very very long time and there, there just wasn't very much left in the car at that point and uh, and uh, there, there was a lineup of cars uh, behind them and, or, or behind Norris and uh, well he lost uh, several places in, in, in very short order but uh, you know it, it was good to see and like I say it is nice to see that, uh, that McLaren is um, starting to make their way back up because they're not fighting for podiums yet but if they can keep this up and this will be a big uh, big uh, question or a big uh, uh, talking point again this week in Austria is what, what was this a flash in the pan for McLaren was uh, the, the circuit Paul Ricard just a, a place that is just a suited to them oh, we'll wait and see those questions will be uh, be answered in, in due course and uh, it will be interesting to see whether or not they can uh, keep it up but on the flip side um, on uh, the Renault side and of course uh, there's a tie-in with McLaren here because of course they have the uh, the, the Renault power as well. Uh, Cyril Abitaboul, the, uh, the the team principal at uh, Renault, says that uh, they believe that uh, they are just as fat as uh, fast as uh, McLaren, uh, despite uh, losing out and not uh, finishing quite as uh, high up uh, in the order. Of course, uh, Nico Hulkenberg came home in eighth, and then Danny Ricardo eventually finished outside of the points in 13 and uh, that was uh, well m- most uh, mostly because of uh, all the different uh, things that were going on uh, late in the race there uh, going uh, off the track exceeding track limits and some of the other shenanigans there but anyways um they uh, they believe that they're getting close, and they have uh, made a number of um, uh, upgrades to their car over the past uh, several uh, races, and uh, you know just to, also to the the aerodynamics and not just the engine, um, but. It it really hasn't quite been there, and the, you know they they have been saying that the the, the car hasn't really um, the circumstances haven't been really quite right. I think is the the way that uh, uh, Nico Hulkenberg tried to kind of describe it a couple of weeks ago, and certainly we did see a little bit uh, more from them uh, this week or this past weekend in, in France. And when you look at them, they, you had Danny Ricardo that uh, started the race in eighth, and uh, well Nico Hulkenberg in thirteenth, which uh, was a bit of an issue that he had in Q two, but still. I mean, to, to make it all the way up to eighth by the end of the race for Hulkenberg uh, was, I think, a, a decent result, uh, you know, for, for, 
for for them. And and certainly we need to see some more for from uh, Renault. We need to see whether or not they're actually starting to put this thing together because they have plateaued to a certain extent over the past couple of years. And uh, I think this year and next year are really crucial uh, for Renault in, in in Formula One because I, I think this is at the point in the. Uh, in the development and the stage of this program, whatever you want to call it, where we should see some legitimate or some, I, I think some real concrete gains that, uh, that they are slowly starting to pull away from the, the, the teams in the midfield, because this is a team that, that has done very well in formula one in the past as, as a constructor, as an engine manufacturer. I mean, they have won championships. I mean, uh, Fernando Alonso won both his world championships as a Renault driver way back in 2005 and 2006. Six. Okay, that's <laughs> that's a while ago now, but still the point is is they they've done it before, and the question is will they be able to do it again? And uh, they do have a good pair of drivers in them, Danny Ricardo and uh, and Nico Hulkenberg. I mean Hulkenberg has not really had the success uh, in Formula One that a, a lot of people have expected. I mean I think he holds the record now for the longest uh, run in Formula One without a podium, but he did win at Le Mans a couple of years ago, and. And uh, that is uh, that is no small feat to, to be uh, a race winner there in in endurance racing and especially at Le Mans. I mean that is um, that is one of the big big races in the, the all of motorsports. So I mean the guy's got talent, but for whatever reason it just has never really translated to success in Formula One. And he's uh, you know very much like Ricardo in a position where they're kind of hedging their bets on the future that that uh, they've hitched their horse to the right to the right uh, train, if you whatever you want to call it, um, that this is a team that maybe you got to grin and bear it for a year or two, or whatever the case may be, before the the, the real success and the the, the real gains in performance and uh, and and uh, and success on the track and in racing is really going to start to manifest itself. And certainly at this point in the season thus far, you look at Danny Ricardo, who's had a couple uh, or several very good years at uh, at Red Bull, won his first Grand Prix there. It was uh, the, the first of uh, quite a few and quite a number of podiums and has uh, re- really made a name for himself in, in Formula One. Is Daniel Ricardo though, a potential world champion? I don't know. That is uh, that is a great uh, question. I mean, he's without a doubt a very very good uh, driver, a very very good Formula One driver, and should be racing in Formula One. I mean, uh, he uh, he deserves to be there without a doubt, hundred <clears throat> percent. However, it uh, it was interesting. I think that when it came down uh, to the to the crunch uh, this time last year, when it was all negotiation uh, with uh, with Red Bull about uh, resigning and staying there or uh, deciding to move on, because it, it was a surprise that uh, that he decided to go to uh, to Renault. And I, I still remember it vividly when the announcement came. Uh, I was on vacation myself, and I just happened to be waiting for everybody to come out of the hotel, and I was just sitting outside the the, the hotel entrance in a in a little uh, on a bench in a little park there, just going through Twitter on my phone when I saw the, uh, the little video that uh, Ricardo had posted, and uh, like many of you, I was shocked that he decided to leave uh, Red Bull. But I think at the end of the day, that uh, he knew that whether it was uh, explicitly stated or not, that Red Bull was uh, what is or was still is uh, Max Verstappen's team, and uh, Max I think has uh, really made the case that uh, that he is a potential world champion. 
champion in Formula One. Uh, I mean, he is certainly an exciting driver to watch. I mean, there, there's been a bit of controversy around him uh, over the past couple of years. But I mean, the thing is with Max, I mean, he's a hard jar- charging, aggressive driver and he's he's quick. And there's no doubt that he has a lot of the qualities that uh, that that a world champion needs. The the only thing now is that uh, he needs a car that uh, that can help him challenge for a world championship, and that's why it's going to be uh, fun to watch over the next couple of years as Max uh, comes into his prime and and the the, the partnership between uh, Honda and Red Bull uh, continues to grow, and hopefully from their point of view at least uh, continues to flourish. And certainly they've done very well so far in the in, in their first season together there seems to be a lot of synergy between two of them but anyways the point is it it became obvious that uh, Ricardo uh, or or at least in retrospect that he did want to stick there that he was looking for something else and and Renault seemed like a smart well maybe not a smart move but you could see where the logic was in him going there obviously he may have felt a bit of second fiddle to Max at Red Bull whether or not they publicly came out and said that uh, that Max was going to be number one Ricardo was number two or kind of 1A and 1B uh, in terms of ranking there whatever you want to call it where at at Renault he kind of has the opportunity to uh, be more or have the opportunity that he could be the potential number one there and I don't really know if there is a, an explicitly named uh, number one at Renault. I mean, I think that uh, both uh, uh, Hulkenberg and Ricardo are both uh, good drivers, and uh, Ricardo certainly has had um, success in Formula One over the past several years, obviously. But it makes you wonder if uh, if Nico Hulkenberg had been at, uh, at Red Bull, say, instead of Force India or Renault, would he have had similar success as, uh, as, uh, as Danny Ricardo, or would he have done better? Of course course that's all speculation we'll never really know but still I think that uh, it, it is a solid pairing there and uh, Renault I think really needs to, to to start fighting start moving forward and whether or not uh, they're there and they they say they're as fast as McLaren that's that's another question because it's interesting now because you have um, the, the, the team principal Abitable saying that they are then you have uh, Ricardo on the other hand saying that um, that's the, the one thing uh, that really affected them uh, at the French Grand Prix last weekend was uh, they didn't get the setup right and it was the new surface that uh, on the track there that really uh, hindered them and really stopped them from maximizing the the, the upgrade so now the question uh, about Renault at this point in time is are the where are they with the car is the car good enough is the engine good enough are the upgrades good enough or is it uh, is it a little bit of uh, propaganda and PR on their behalf saying oh yeah well you know no, there's nothing wrong with the car the car is good you know but we just didn't set it up right so that's what it becomes now the discussion is the car good enough or if it isn't good enough why or is it just a, a setup thing which seems a bit um, bit uh, interesting that uh, you you know that that they kind of blew it on what the or, or didn't make the most of what looked to be a, a very sort of promising and almost well, I don't know if you want to call it a coming out party but you know you obviously want to do good in front of the home fans and obviously Renault being a French manufacturer at the French Grand Prix you're going to want to go and do good so you know an eighth place for for Nico Hulkenberg eh, it's it's all right I mean it's it's better than what uh, they've had over the past uh 
I, I guess for most of the season so far, I mean, the, the, the results have been a little bit, I wouldn't say disappointing, but I, I think they've left them wanting more. I mean, they're still kind of the best of the rest of the rest, if you want to call it, maybe in that second class B. I mean, you have uh, Mercedes who are in a class of their own. Uh, Ferrari and Red Bull are obviously racing each other in the moment. And then you have everybody else. And uh, Renault, at the end of last year in 2018, they're the ones that uh, finished fourth in the Constructors' Championship. So obviously last year, they were the best of the rest of the rest. But uh, this year, and especially over the past couple of races, well, as we were talking about just now, McLaren are starting to make noise and uh, things are obviously getting sorted out there. And uh, the the people that uh, that have been brought in over the past couple of years are starting to make a difference. And they got the new team principal, Andreas Seidel, who's been there for a couple of races now. And uh, like I was saying a couple of minutes ago, to see them on the third row of the grid and uh, convincingly so is is a very, very good achievement for them. You could just see how happy they were on the pit wall during qualifying at the end of uh at the end of Q3 just uh, how pumped they were so it it just uh, it really gives them reinforcement that whatever they're doing is working and uh, it's just going to motivate them to 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 keep uh, going forward so Renault are going to have to do the, the 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 same thing because if you are the works team and Renault obviously are one of the few teams in Formula One that are manufacturing both a car and an engine and putting it together. I mean, Ferrari are doing it, Mercedes are doing it, and Renault are doing it. And they're miles behind Ferrari and they're even further behind uh, Mercedes. But the thing is, they don't want to be behind McLaren. They don't want their customer team to be ahead of them on the track. And I think that's going to be um, something that the, the the bosses, the brass at Renault are going to be looking down at the Formula One team if that uh, continues to be the be so as like, why are we investing? Investing so much money. What are we doing wrong? Why is our customer team outperforming us and beating us straight up on the on the track? But it's interesting too. I mean, uh, McLaren on the other hand said that they felt no uh, relief that uh, Renault didn't make uh, that that big step at uh, at the French Grand Prix after they introduced their 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 big update package, and they really were or Renault. That is, uh, were were hoping that that package was going to lift them out of the, the 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 midfield. So it worked for one team. It didn't work uh, for the other. So it, it'll be interesting to see what unfolds with both McLaren and uh, and and uh, and Renault this week in uh, in Austria. Anyways, it's time now for another quick break here on the Overtime Media Network. We're going to keep talking about McLaren and and Renault just for a little bit uh, longer. We'll talk a little bit about the Austrian uh, Grand Prix. We're going to talk about uh, the post-2021 rules and how Lewis Hamilton said that the proposed changes are just not good enough. That and lots more after the break. So please don't go away. We will be right back. All right, welcome back to the show. And just sticking with uh, McLaren for a little bit uh, longer, they feel like they're in a bit of a, a dilemma now with the the, the engine uh, upgrades. And uh, Carlos Sainz has already used his uh, quota of three power units, this team, and uh, Lando Norris is getting there a, a little bit as well in the quota that he has. And uh, they did have the the opportunity this past weekend in France to go with the, the new B-Spec engine, but they've uh, decided to, to, to wait out. And uh, Andreas Seidel said that, uh, that it's something that they're working 
working out at the moment. Uh, they want to look at the data again after uh, France, and then they're going to work out a plan and see what they're going to do, because especially later in the year, they're going to want to have to avoid uh, the, the, the grid penalties. We saw this past weekend, uh, Danny Kvyat uh, took a new uh, Honda power unit for his car. He ended up uh, all the way at uh, the, the, the back of the grid. So, <laughs> you know, there, there are uh, a lot of considerations uh, that, that you need to, to take in a, into account. I mean, um, that that's one of the, the, the cost-cutting measures that they have in Formula One. Certainly, they don't want to uh, have teams burning through engines uh, more than they need to. And, uh, you know, I mean, Kvyat uh, did uh, did pretty good. I mean, he started, like I say, at the, the, the back of the grid. Uh, he made it as high up as, as 14th, which was uh, one place ahead of uh, his teammate uh, Alexander Albon. Not a great weekend uh, in terms of results uh, for, for Toro Rosso, but uh, Kvyat, uh, I think, at least will be... Um, you know, I think quite pleased that uh, he was able to uh, get uh, as far up as he, he did. And uh, I mean, he didn't uh, make it into the points, but certainly uh, he was able to carve his way through the uh, the order to a certain extent. And uh, well, he did end up uh, behind the the, the two uh, racing point uh, Mercedes cars. And uh, well, not quite good enough, but uh, certainly it was okay for them. Anyways, um, just talking a little bit more about uh, the, the, the French Grand Prix and um, Danny Ricardo reckoned that uh, Paul Ricard, the or the the operator of the track, there should consider a different layout uh, for Formula One, and uh, it. Well, let's be fair. It was not a very exciting Grand Prix. I mean, we saw some of those, uh, we, we did see a number of overtaking uh, going on in that chicane down uh, sort of about two thirds of the way around the, the, the Mistral Strait on the, the back of the track there. Uh, but it, there, it wasn't really an exciting race. I mean, when you see the top three, you have uh, um, Lewis Hamilton, 18 seconds in front of his teammate and second, who's about the, the same thing again, 18 or 19 seconds ahead of uh, Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari. And then there's even a, a bigger gap back to Max Verstappen in fourth. It's disappointing, and nobody really wants to see that. I mean, there are some, there were some exciting scraps in the midfield, but let, let's be honest. As, as fun as it is to watch, nobody really cares what the battle for 14th position is, right? I mean, I, I don't think I'm alone in saying that. I would love to see Valtteri Bottas and Charles Leclerc and Sebastian Vettel and uh, and and Lewis Hamilton and whoever else scrapping it back uh, or back and forth all race long and and see numerous changes in the lead and it doesn't just come down to okay Hamilton was out in front but you know he drops down to fourth position because of the the the, the pit stop and then by the time that that Bottas goes in and Verstappen and Vettel and whoever else by the time it's all done it, it just reverts back to the same running order that we had prior to the pit stops nobody wants to see that either we want to see good hard honest clean racing and fun racing that's 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 as race fans as formula 1 fans that's what we all want to see right and I sometimes get a little bit critical and, and I get a little bit bored. I'll be completely honest and transparent here. I find Lewis Hamilton winning all the time a little bit boring. And that's no disrespect meant to Lewis. I mean, as I was saying at the top of the show, I got nothing respect for the guy. I mean, what he's done and consistently done for so many years is absolutely outstanding. However, it does become a little bit predictable. And... You know, I mean, if if he was still to to, to scrap it out with Vettel or Bottas or, or Charles Leclerc, whoever, and still wins, yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. I mean, I mean, if you're you're winning, uh, anyways, because you're the best. I mean, that's fine. But I mean, the thing is, it has become predictable, and um, I just 
I think like everybody else, I just want to see more uh, going on and, and I want to see more uh, more battles on the track. But one thing, at least for the French Grand Prix, uh, Danny Ricardo believes that they can actually uh, do uh, more at, at Paul Ricard. Because if you look at, uh, at, uh, at the, over, uh, the overhead, the aerial photo of the circuit and just go on a Google Maps or whatever and, and, and go check it out for yourself, there are almost... I don't know how many different combinations, I wouldn't say infinite, that's uh, obviously quite an exaggeration, but there are many, many different um, uh, configurations that they can use to the track there. And it's really kind of interesting because they do have that uh, those different bands of the colored abrasive paint that's uh, around the um, the exterior of the track, uh, the the blue and the, the white and the blue and the red, which have uh, different uh, degrees of abrasiveness. But if you look in between those, especially from uh, from above, you'll see the different options that they have for configurations uh, on the track. I mean, I, I think that the Mistral Straight is uh, is really cool. I mean, you just see the speed and the power of the Formula One cars as they go down there but I, I think there's something to this what Ricardo was saying if there is a way that they can um, uh, maximize and make use of the um, the potential of, uh, of Paul Ricard to make it uh, more exciting to make it more fun because it is kind of interesting the way it is I mean like I see you got the long Mistral straight with the the chicane at the back and then you kind of have a couple of tight twisty technical uh, sections at either end of it and uh, even just after the, the the start finish you have a bit of a, a series of long sweeping uh, uh, corners so for me it's it's a cool track but could it be ma- made better Possibly, so I think that uh, should be something that uh, that they should look at, and I think that uh, it it could be something uh, an area of potential that they they should look into. I do want to talk a little bit more uh, about uh, just the, the the rules and uh, the what uh, what's going to go on in uh, in twenty twenty one and beyond. But uh, before that, um, of course, I just wanted to talk quickly because I've kind of skipped over it a little bit in my enthusiasm here, just talking about all the news. But just to to, to clarify, Danny Ricardo, just uh, sticking with him for a couple of moments uh, longer. So he would have finished in seventh uh, in France last weekend, but uh, he was uh, dropped down to uh, 11th in the final results uh, because he got two separate penalties <laughs> right on the last lap. Like I was saying, it was uh, some uh, shenanigans. And uh, because of that, Raikkonen moved up to seventh, Lando North, uh, and it uh, was all... Um, completely changed around in the end and I should just double check because uh, it was uh, so crazy in the end so yeah it was um, Raikkonen finished 7 Hulkenberg 8th uh, Lando North 9th and uh, Pierre Gasly was uh, was 10th but yeah I mean there was uh, quite a lot uh, going on there so first of all he was judged to have uh, left the circuit and rejoined unsafely forcing another driver off of the track and uh, we we keep going on uh, about that because I mean of course that's going to be something that's going to be very very much in in focus in the moment. I mean, uh, after what happened between Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel in Canada a couple of weeks ago, that is just... um it's something everybody's looking at. It's not just uh, the the stewards, but what what, uh, Ricardo was doing was not... uh, it wasn't the the smartest thing, and it was obviously, I think, an easier decision for the stewards to to make uh, than what what it was uh, for for Vettel. I mean, if Vettel was uh, judged to have uh, rejoined the track uh, unsafely, and there was a bit of debate about it, uh, depending on your point of view, I don't think there was any real debate uh, over the incident uh, with uh, with uh, Danny Ricardo on the final lap at uh, at Francis uh, this past weekend. So, uh, for those and other transgressions, uh, he got the, the the double penalty. So, a bit disappointing. 
for him because uh, I don't think there's ever really been a, a question that uh, that uh, Danny Ricardo is a is a dirty driver or is uh, unfair or not clean. I mean, uh, we we all know that he's uh, the the master of the late overtake. But uh, a sad way for him to end the, the, the race because certainly that's uh, something that doesn't really look uh, too good on him and certainly he doesn't have that uh, reputation. So anyways, moving along, let's talk about Ferrari now. We haven't, uh, we've, we've been at this now for over 40 minutes, almost three quarters of an hour. We haven't talked about Ferrari very, very much at all. So they are now willing to sacrifice some of their straight line speed in, uh, and that advantage to, into pursuit of a more downforce as they try to evolve the, um, their philosophy on the uh, their car's aerodynamics uh, for for this year and again they struggled this past weekend and were just uh, not able to close the gap uh, to, uh, to to Mercedes and they they're still on that uh, unbeaten 100% winning start to, to the season and it uh, I, I'm feeling like uh, I've become a broken record it's just uh, it is so disappointing that uh, that Ferrari has uh, underperformed so badly thus uh, far this season and has had uh, I mean some of it is their own fault um, there was the the, the disappointment in uh, Bahrain when uh, Vettel had a bit of a moment and uh, when uh, scrapping with uh, Lewis Hamilton and then uh, Charles Leclerc had the the issue uh, with with the engine in his car, which uh, he was lucky that they had the safety car towards the uh, the end there, which uh, preserved the podium at least. And then uh, there was the uh, the incident in Canada when uh, Vettel lost the, uh, the the lead because of that uh, the, the five second time penalty that uh, was levied against him by the stewards after he had a bit of a wiggle and went onto the grass and was uh, judged to have uh, re-entered or rejoined the track unsafely. But then in the races where they haven't been competitive, they just really haven't been anywhere. I mean. I mean, Vettel looked great in Canada. I mean, he was, it, it was, it was just him and, and Hamilton and they were miles ahead of everybody else. I mean, Charles Leclerc was 12 or 15 seconds behind it uh, at one point, closed up uh, a little bit uh, towards there at the, the end of the race, but Vettel just looked really competitive. He looked like uh, the, the Vettel that we've been used to over the past couple of years, uh, scrapping it out there with Lewis Hamilton. And, and it was fun to watch. I mean, it, it really was that question. Who's it going to be? Is it going to be Lewis or is it going to be Seb? That's going to be this one. So, I mean, to see Lewis win it on a technicality, whatever, we've, we, we've been there. We talked about it at length last week. We don't need to, to, to go back there again. But the, the, the point is that when they haven't been competitive, I mean, the, the Ferrari has just been in a class apart from uh, Mercedes and obviously not in a good way. They've been uh, miles behind and they just have not been able to generate the uh, enough temperature at times to, to get into these tires and, and get them into that, that real sweet spot in that, uh, that optimum temperature range where they're going to get all the grip and get those tires working, uh, working properly. So they did bring several uh, upgrades to, to, to Paul uh, Ricard, but again, it was a uh, disappointing. They did, they didn't uh, really get uh, what they wanted and any gains that they had were were minimal at least uh, compared to, uh, to to Mercedes which uh, of course is the team that everybody's um, trying to, to to catch at the moment and well maybe not in the moment I mean it's been the past uh, several years um, but uh, what, what uh, Mattia Bonato the team principal at uh, Ferrari was saying is that uh, that they are looking for for more uh, downforce at the expense of uh, speed and uh, it says even if uh, the car is, is not as efficient it will give more uh, downforce to get the tires working and that 
that's the direction that they're they're going to go to. And he said again in, in qualifying last week, and it was just how difficult it was to to get the tires working properly. And it's uh, something that they're 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 focused and really trying to um, uh, to get uh, get a handle on. And well, I mean, we're getting. I mean, we are at that point already that, I mean, the, the season, at least in terms of a, of a championship point of view, is um, is basically a write-off for Ferrari, right? I mean, there, there's, I, I can't see of any conceivable or realistic um, situation where, where Vettel or Leclerc would become uh, right back in the mix to, to uh, be a, a contender for the, the world championship. I mean, that's off the table at this point of view. I, I think what they have to aim for now is is get this season turned around to the point where they're at least competitive and they're back on a level or or closer to to Mercedes and at least challenging for wins and then and then take what they learn in uh, in the latter half of this year if they're able to figure out the problem that that they have to get the tires and working uh, properly and 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 figure out what changes that they need to make in their philosophy and with the aerodynamics on the car and take those lessons learned and take it into 2020 and then then come back to fight another day i mean i that's that's what i think i think that at this point in time that's what they need to to, to focus on is is try to get back to uh winning ways this season and then look forward to and look ahead to next year because at some point they're going to just um, they're going to have to write it off okay the car is what it is and it's time to stop development and further development on this car and stop looking towards or start looking towards 2020 and uh and uh, and try to come back fighting and winning for next year. Anyways, time for one final break here on the Overtime Media Network, and uh, we're going to start shutting the show down after this. Anyways, you are listening to Scootery F1, and don't go away. We will be right back. All right, guys, welcome back. And as we start to close it down now, we're just going to stick with the Ferrari a little bit uh, longer here. And uh, Sebastian Vettel, uh, he was quite frank saying that uh, they failed, uh, Ferrari that is, in their uh, French Grand Prix uh, objective. And uh, and he says that uh, the, the updates that they uh, introduced to the car didn't uh, substantially reduce the, the, the gap to uh, Mercedes in front of them. And uh, they, they brought revised wings and brake ducts as part of the update uh, package. And... Well, they, they were kind of mixed reviews, for, uh, particularly from uh, Sebastian Vettel. And uh, he said uh, the team had reverted to most of the changes uh, before uh, qualifying. And uh, the, the fastest uh, Ferrari in qualifying was uh, was uh, Charles Leclerc. and uh, the, But he was still six tenths off of the pace than, uh, than, than, than Mercedes. So I don't know what else to say about uh, Ferrari at the moment, guys. We've kind of been talking about it. And, uh, well, we can go back to say that they were the, the champions of the winter season. And that would be a winter testing. But at the end of the day, uh, they just weren't able to take what looked a re- like a really, really promising form in testing and actually bring it into race conditions. And uh, that is that is the disappointment because uh, I was really hoping this year, this year to see more fights between the Mercedes and the Ferrari drivers. And uh, so far, it uh, has been far and, uh, and few between. Anyways, let's uh, talk a little bit now about uh, 2021 and uh, and beyond, or just the state of, uh, of Formula One. And Lewis Hamilton, five-time world champion, Lewis Hamilton says to blame rule makers and not drivers for boring Formula One uh, uh, races. And yeah, 
he he's bang on. And just for the record, I don't think I've ever really been out and out uh, uh, to say that uh, I think that's a driver's fault that uh, that Formula One or, or certain race has been boring. I mean, I guess we could go back to um, uh, Monaco last year in 2018, the one that uh, Danny Ricardo won, uh, despite having a, a feeling uh, MGUK, which uh, really slowed him down for most of the race. And you had after the race, you had uh, guys like Hamilton and, uh, and Fernando Alonso saying it was one of the most boring races ever. I think that was uh, uh, pretty much uh, verbatim what uh, Fernando said. But certainly that's true. I mean, it is not the driver's fault. I mean, when you have a, a track like Monaco and you have a car that's struggling and you're in front there, you're going to do whatever it takes within the limits, within the rules to stay in front. So, I mean, can you really blame uh, Danny Ricardo for driving a wide car? And, uh, well, I mean, nobody behind him really pushed that hard to really get around him anyways. So, I guess uh, the job uh, for for him was half done just uh, by his rivals, but certainly it is true. I mean, when it comes down to it, it comes down to the people that decide what Formula One is, and that is the big problem at the moment, right? I mean, we've been talking about this now for the better part of a year, maybe even a little bit longer when, uh, I guess it was even Bahrain last year when, uh, when Ross Braun came out with, uh, some of the proposals and some of the ideas, some of the things that they were looking at for, uh, 2021 and beyond. And everybody was really exciting because, or excited because they had this really, really cool space age looking, uh, concept car of what, uh, what a car in 2021 might look like. And everybody was really excited. And those, um, those positive uh, feelings or what are expectations, what do you even call it, were tempered quite quickly that because a lot of the teams said, well, you know, well, that's what the rules may allow. But in reality, the, the cars probably won't look a, a lot different the, than they are right now. But then it kind of went nowhere for a very long time and it's kind of really dragged on and Ross Braun was saying several months ago that he was uh, frustrated about the the glacial speed of negotiations with all the teams and all the different stakeholders. And uh, that just... A bit of a, a sad real uh, reinforcement or realization or reminder that uh, that Formula One can sometimes be its own worst enemy. There's there, there's so many vested interests in the sport and so much politics that it isn't easy. And I, I thought, well, you know, maybe Formula One under the uh, the ownership and, uh, and guidance of uh, of Chase Carey and Liberty Media, maybe they just uh, they they don't have it. Maybe they're just not the strong man that Formula One needs. And I thought, well, maybe Formula One already had that guy, and that was Bernie Ecclestone, but. I mean, Bernie got what Bernie wanted, and uh, there, there's no question about that. But still, there was, I don't know how successful he really was at the end of the day, how hard he really pushed to to, um, to make Formula One maybe more exciting for the fans. I mean, certainly, like I say, he got things the way that he wanted, but now we're, we're sort of faced uh, with the same thing again, at, that's the teams are resistant to a certain extent. And then, you know, you hear uh, comments that, uh, you know, there's, there's quiet uh, or there's room for quiet optimism that things might be going in the right way, in the right direction. And then, uh, you know, you, you have uh, Lewis talking about the, you know, these boring races. And then, you know, he goes on to, to, to even go, uh, go further and where he says, quote, uh, that uh, the overhaul are quote, nowhere near where it needs to be for 2021. And uh, he says it needs a uh, serious changes. And he, um, did attend a, a meeting that uh, delayed the finalizing of the rules and it's been 
the the date for the the votes or the um, the the for the finalization for the rules has been pushed back a number of times now they're talking about October and the thing is it just becomes so, so difficult and I really don't know what the what the best way to to do it is I mean I'm not on the inside as much as I'd like to be but uh, you know be that as it may uh, I really don't know of another sport uh, where the uh, the the stakeholders have so much input in a way, and uh, all these vested interests have all these uh, uh, these. Uh, how do you want to put it now? The the voice that they have, and I mean, in, in the past, whenever the the, the Concord Agreement uh, came up uh, for uh, renegotiation, or they started looking at the uh, at uh, revamping the rules and the, the the regulations and all all those sorts of things that. Quite often, it seemed to be, and of course, I'm going to oversimplify here that uh, that whenever there were discussions like that, somebody would get upset. Usually, Ferrari they'd threaten to pull out of Formula One. We've heard other teams uh, make that threat as well, and I mean, there really haven't been too many, um, uh, you know, talk about that. I mean, there was a talk at uh, at one point uh, where Ferrari didn't say that they were going to pull out of Formula One, but they were a little bit concerned about the the, the direction the discussions were taking, and they were basically saying, well. Uh, well, we'll have to see what direction they want to go in and see if it goes with, uh, you know, our, our values and our ethos and our philosophy and whether or not that really jives, which is what is, uh, the, the genes, the DNA of uh, Ferrari, if you will. So, you know, I, I do, I'm encouraged by that to a certain extent that nobody's decided to take all their toys and go home, but still I'm, uh, like many other people and a lot of people on the inside uh, that, uh, that come out and say these things, I, I'm discouraged that it's, uh, and frustrated that it's taking so long. And, uh, when, when I hear somebody like Lewis Hamilton come out and say that, that the, the, the changes that have been proposed so far aren't going far enough and they, they have to make really big, major, serious changes to the sport. I think that uh, it's a big cause for concern, and I think that uh, that if you're one of the people that uh, that that are there that has a voice, uh, or not, I think that uh, that that anybody inside Formula One should be concerned when when a guy that's basically poster boy the, the poster boy for Formula One in the moment in this era. And, and a five-time world champion, nonetheless, is coming out publicly saying, you know, guys, you know, what you're doing isn't uh, isn't going far enough, and and you need to look harder and do something better. So. I don't know really where it's going to go. And I I certainly hope that they get it right. And I I know I've said that uh, over the years. And I I would really, I think I have to go back and and, and take a look at at races maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, and and see what uh, the the, the real difference is. I think that uh, over time, perceptions are maybe colored a little bit. And, you know, the memory is a little bit of a funny thing. I mean, you know, sometimes you can misremember things or it isn't quite the same as you uh, remember. So before I really kind of get into it, say, oh yeah, well, racing was much better five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. I have to go back and really remind myself because I feel like I've been had they're making the same complaint for a while now, but certainly the number of, uh, let's say, not very exciting races has been a little bit more frequent in, in the past couple of years. And so far, I think that the, 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 the changes that they pushed through last year, I mean, have they really worked? Have they really, I guess they have in some circumstances. Uh, we're still not maybe getting that, uh, that, uh, I guess that holy grail of uh, wheel-to-wheel racing and 
and, and cars passing each other all over the race. Maybe, maybe that's just an unrealistic unreal, expectation that uh, that I have. I mean, I, I really don't know uh, what, what the answer is. But like I say, I'm concerned that that, that Lewis is saying that uh, that the changes that they're proposing just are, aren't uh, good enough. Uh, but uh, just on uh, just to add to that, uh, the F1 sporting boss uh, and that he's the uh, or director of motorsport, whatever Ross Braun's uh, title is, he he's looking forward to uh, to getting involved, and he says he's he cannot wait to work with Lewis in, in shaping the championship's uh, future. And uh, he, he said now that the meetings are now scheduled to get more input from the drivers. And well, hello, thank you. I mean, who, who better than to get involved at this point than than the twenty guys that are out there driving those cars and and know what it's like and and and, and are the professionals? I mean, nothing from that they get taken away from the, the the technical people and the engineers and the aerodynamicists that 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 design and build these cars. But let's get some feedback from 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 the drivers, the guys that are out there uh, going going at it wheel to wheel every other weekend uh, over the course of eight or nine months, whatever the length of a Formula One season is let's get their from the, their feedback and 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 see what suggestions that uh, that they have because not only is it concerning that uh, that I hear these uh, comments that Lewis is making but was it last week or the week before that uh, Roman Grosjean was saying that uh, uh, that that he felt uh, doesn't feel very physically challenged, or, or uh, I think he said that he he felt more exhausted after a kart race than after a Formula One race. So where where is the challenge? You know, there, there's something still not quite there in in what uh, Formula One is, and uh, and where they need to go, and then. I also thought that uh, it was promising too that uh, Michael Massey, who's one of the uh, he's the, the the Formula One race director, he said he's open to the idea of re- rewriting the racing rules uh, for 2020 if the the, the drivers and the teams um, think that it would be a, a good thing to do. And of course, this is more of the the, the backlash or the fallout, I guess. Excuse me, you could say of the uh, Sebastian Vettel uh, incident, uh, Stuart Gate, whatever. Are we going to call it Stuart Gate? We can call it that, I guess, I suppose. But the uh, the, the big incident with the the, the five second t- time penalty that uh, that he received in, in in Canada. And I mean, you know, it, regardless if Sebastian deserved that penalty or regardless if he didn't, it just looks bad for the sport that you have two cars battling and then the car that that crosses the finish line first is not the one that uh, that that's not the guy that goes up onto the top step of the podium that uh, gets that uh, that that big trophy i get it he was judged to have uh, have, uh, have broken the rules and was uh, penalized for it but just publicly, optically, it it does not look good, uh, especially to the, the 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 wider audience. I mean, for for those of us that follow Formula One, maybe we might not agree it. Especially if you're a fan of Ferrari, especially if you're a fan of Sebastian Vettel, you're not going to be very happy about that call at all, right? But to a certain extent, even if you don't agree with it, you might understand the the, the process and the reasoning uh, behind it. And, and obviously the rules and the way the Formula One is set up left the stewards very little room than, than what they had and uh, what they could uh, ultimately uh, do in that situation. But like I say, I mean, it just does not look good for, for Formula One. So I do find it uh, promising that, uh, that, that, that Massey is saying he's open to that. But, you know, again, you're going to need, um, you know, all the teams to get on board with that and and all these other things it's it's not exactly an easy process but I, i'm glad to hear that there are these discussions that then the people are speaking up and it's one thing for them to speak up and 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 make their opinions and their, and their feelings known on these uh on these different issues but at some point 
there, there's got to be some movement somewhere. I mean, the, the resi- you know, collectively, all the parties have to come to, to, to together and, and try and do something for, for the betterment of the sport. Because if it, if it keeps going, where is it going to, ultimately, where is it going to be? Is it, is it going to be the same? Is it going to become a completely sterile and boring sport? I mean, th- those criticisms are there all, all, already by some people. Or can they do something to, to, to uh, increase the excitement, increase the quality of the racing and, and, and like uh, driver's race? I mean, I, I thought, honestly, it was a harsh penalty for S- Sebastian Vettel, but... You know, I was—I I said before, I'd like to see the two guys race, but unfortunately, just the way that the rules are and the way that he came back onto the track, he was judged to have been given an un, or he had gained an unfair advantage. And because of that, you know, you get penalized for it. I mean, it seems harsh, but it's just the way it is. So I certainly hope that that collectively that uh, that 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 formula 1 can do the right thing. I I really hope that. Um I'm a little bit cynical and skeptical that uh, that they won't be. But hey, I, I really hope that uh, th- that they will get it uh, right, and I'm crossing uh, my fingers uh, that that it will be uh, the, the the right outcome in the long run. Anyways, uh, just a couple more things uh, be, uh, before we go. Uh, Alfa Romeo is uh, planning a, a big uh, series of upgrades for the British Grand Prix in a couple of weeks. Uh, like I say, I think it was good to see uh, Kimi Räikkönen finish where he did in France in uh, in eighth, sorry, seventh position. And then you look at uh, Haas on the other side. And uh, Roman Grosjean said that uh, that uh, the French Grand Prix last week was their worst weekend in Formula One since uh, they, they joined a couple of years ago, and it was uh, just terrible. I mean, if you're Kevin Magnussen, you're finished finishing in front of the two Williams, you basically finish last. I mean, finishing in front of the Williams is nothing to be uh, good about or feel good about because they are the two slowest and the two worst cars on the grid. So, uh, you know, if they're the only two cars uh, behind you, you've got to be pretty concerned with what's, uh, with, with what's uh, going on. But just uh, talking with Williams now, they announced uh, earlier this week that uh, Patty Lowe has um, finally left uh, the team. So he's now the former t- chief technical officer, and he's also uh, left the, uh, the the board of uh, directors. So he has uh, been on leave for what they are calling personal reasons uh, since the beginning of March, since uh, just before the start of the season. And the only time that, uh, or the last time he was seen in public uh, with the team was uh, at uh, preseason in Barcelona. And that was just a, a shambles. I mean, they um, they they delayed the uh, their uh, departure to go to Barcelona uh, for the initial uh, first test because uh, they they never really disclosed why. But they they got there late. The car was slow, and uh, this is the, uh, the the second car that uh, that he's been um, at the. Uh, well, basically at the top. I mean, he is the chief technical uh, officer. Uh, he was brought over from, from Mercedes a couple of years ago. And, well, you think that, you know, you've been with Mercedes, you've been with a team that's won a couple of world championships, both for the drivers and constructors. you got to think that's a guy that you want to have in your team. But, I mean, it's been pretty much an unmitigated disaster for Williams uh, since he went there. I mean, uh, they, they were bad last year in 2018 with the FW41. And then this year with the FW42, it's just as uh, just as bad, and I mean they are just seconds off of the pace. I mean by well multiple seconds. I mean it is just uh, ridiculous. And uh, again, if you look at uh, not even the the the, the bigger uh, picture of what, where they've been over say the last decade, I mean just how far they have fallen just in the past couple of years is absolutely quite shocking. So I mean the cars that have been designed under the uh, the, the the guidance under under on on Patty's watch, I mean have just 
been wrong. I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, the, they have just been uh, completely out to lunch with their uh, with, with their philosophy. I mean, for for lack of a uh, better description, I mean, I, I hate to be cruel and, uh, and and put it that way, but when when you're that far off of the pace, I mean, the car's just wrong. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I mean, when you're even that much slower than the next slowest car in front of you, there is a really really big thing. So. You know, hopefully they can get uh, get that uh, sorted out. I mean, uh, Sir Patrick Head, who was uh, you know uh, the, the chief technical officer there for a long, long time, and oversaw the uh, many of the, uh, the the glory years there as uh, consulting on a on a part time basis, and uh, he gets involved uh, several days a week and is there to uh, help uh, advise and do what uh, what what he can to uh, help the team. So. We will see. Hopefully uh, next year they get it turned around. But I mean, uh, certainly they have had two disastrous years uh, in 2018 and, and not even halfway through uh, for, through 2019 so far. But it, uh, I mean, it's, it's going to take them a very, very long time, I, I think, to d- dig themselves out of that hole. And uh, very much uh, like McLaren, it's just a, a sad place uh, to see them. Anyways, uh, let's just uh, start wrapping it up now. Let's just uh, quickly look at uh, at the Austrian Grand Prix this weekend at uh, the uh, the Red Bull Ring. It is a 71-lap race. The circuit length is just over 4.3 kilometers in length for a total race distance of 306.45 kilometers. The lap record is held under... No, sorry, <laughs> starting to trip up here. It's been a long day. The lap record is held by the none other than the Iceman Kimi Raikkonen who set a time last year in 2018 of 1 minute 6 seconds, 0.957. And the three tire compounds that uh, will be brought there by Pirelli are the hard C2s, medium C3s, and the soft C4s. And the last three winners of the Austrian Grand Prix were Max Verstappen, Valtteri Bottas, and Lewis Hamilton. And uh, before that, um, in 2015-2014, which was the, well, 2014 was the first time that the Austrian Grand Grand Prix was rerun after about a decade or dozen years absence, and those uh, pair of races were won by Nico Rosberg. So it's been all Mercedes four out of the last five years, and certainly considering it's been all Mercedes so far this year, it uh, really <laughs> it really doesn't look like it's going to be any different. Uh, last year, uh, Max Verstappen uh, finished uh, first, like I said, ahead of uh, Kimi Raikkonen and uh, Sebastian Vettel for the. Ferraris. Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen finished fourth and fifth in 2018 at the Austrian Grand Prix for Haas and considering how they've really been wallowing about and uh, regressing and dropping through the race order in the past uh, couple of races seems very unlikely that they're going to be up there in uh, fourth and fifth this uh, this weekend. And then in sixth and seventh last year was Esteban Ocon and Sergio Perez for the Force Indias and then uh, rounding out the top ten was Fernando Alonso in uh, the McLaren. Charles Leclerc for then the Sauber and Marcus Erickson remember him Charles Leclerc's other uh, driving partner in the other uh, Sauber last year he finished in 10th position anyways that is it for the show this week thank you so very much uh, to listening to Scuderia F1 and if you want to get in touch with us do so on Twitter at Scuderia F1 pod or send me an email at Scuderia F1 pod at gmail.com going to be a couple more weeks and then Kevin's going to come back and then I'm going to take a couple of weeks off uh, for the for the summer break and uh, but uh, before then we do 
have a couple more races to go. Looking forward to the Austrian Grand Prix. You know, it's almost already Thursday morning here on the west coast of North America. It's already Thursday everywhere else in the world. I know we're a little bit slow, but whatever. So that means that uh, we have uh, free practice and qualifying and all that good stuff coming up over the next couple of days, culminating, of course, with the Grand Prix on Sunday afternoon. So I hope you all enjoy it. And of course, we will be back this time next week to talk about uh, Austria and everything else that's going on around in the F1 world and I can't wait and until then thank you for listening enjoy the race this weekend and we'll talk to you again very very soon ciao thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast if you want to get the show notes for this episode then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com want to get in touch with us then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com